I love the Gospel of John. And if you haven't really picked up your Bible in a while and you want to learn more about Jesus, the Son of God, then the Gospel of John is a great place to start. Uh, I would recommend you dive into that book because there in the book of John, you're going to see the life and the ministry of Jesus. You're going to learn a lot about his character and his personhood, how he fulfilled the law with every obedience to Christ. You're going to get to hear about his death, burial, and resurrection, the sacrifice that he made to save sinners. And you're going to hear a lot about the character of, of Yahweh, the Father, as well. We've had Simon coming in speaking about how in the book of John there are seven I am statements. Each one of them says something unique and different about who Jesus is and how he is God in the flesh. So the book of John is a, is a wonderful book. And one of the things I like about it the most is that there are some really personal one-on-one interactions that Jesus gets to have with people in the book of John, where you get to see a, an in-depth conversation between Jesus and a person who needs his grace. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today in the book of John in chapter 3. Uh, we'll start by reading verses 1 through 3, and then we'll kind of work our way through after some commentary. So in the book of John, starting in the first verse of chapter 3, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I've written that up on the board because that's going to be central to what we're talking about this morning. So as we see this interaction between a man named Nicodemus and Jesus, this is a one-on-one interaction, kind of a personal conversation. We're going to see there's a lot of unconventional things about this conversation. The word unconventional just means unusual, not the the typical kind of interaction that you might see between Jesus and a person. And so first of all, the visitor who comes to see Jesus is an unconventional visitor. Nicodemus wasn't just a, a normal Israelite. He was a Pharisee. And if you've read much of the New Testament, uh, then you know that the Pharisees factored in a lot to the ministry that Jesus did. A Pharisee was not a job. You didn't like apply to become a Pharisee. It was a way of living. It was kind of a, a, a standard of life. And the Pharisees really had a great love for the law of God. And they knew the Bible really well and tried to live it out in their actions. Now, the problem is, you think that when God sent a Savior, Jesus, to the world, that the Pharisees, these people who really cared about religion and tried to do good things, you would think that these Pharisees would be on board with the ministry of Jesus, that they would identify him as the Messiah, they would encourage him and support him and point people towards Jesus. But that's not actually how it played out. They were not on board with Jesus. And the reason they weren't on board with Jesus is because the Pharisees loved external religion They liked rules and regulations. They liked to show that they were good people by their actions. But there was something missing in many of the Pharisees, most of them, in fact, is that they didn't have a love for the Lord God. And they didn't have a love for the people that God loved. So they liked to do right things, but their hearts were empty and broken. And that was was a serious thing. You can do a lot of religious activity, but if the heart for God is not there, then it doesn't amount to anything before the Lord. There has to be a love there. So what we see instead is the Pharisees constantly clashing 
against Jesus, constantly at odds with Jesus. The Pharisees got into a habit of trying to oppose Jesus publicly to make him look bad. Jesus never ran away from the Pharisees. He never let himself be intimidated by the Pharisees. Instead, he stood his ground because he knew that he was sent of God. And he simply used the truth to expose that empty heart of the Pharisees. And so the law of God, the the law that God gives to us through his word that tells us what is good and what is evil can be very helpful, friends. But the law of God cannot save us. Unfortunately, man wants to believe that it can. Human beings want to believe that in order to get to heaven, in order to be right with God, all we have to do is start performing good deeds, doing right works, and then eventually our good will outweigh our bad, and then God will like us. That's pleasing to the heart of man because it makes salvation our work. It also means that we get to be proud about it if it happens. The Pharisees had a knack for following the rules. They were very good at it. But the very great majority of them were lacking that love that is critical, that faith in God, that love for Him that makes it possible for us to actually do good works that matter. So we have an unconventional person coming to see Jesus. Somebody who his group, his Pharisees, were normally opposed to Jesus. He comes to Jesus and he seeks him out with a sincere desire to learn more and to come near to him. Secondly, we have an unconventional meeting. This isn't the normal way that Jesus interacted with people. We read that it happens in the middle of the night. This man comes in darkness. He doesn't come to Jesus when the crowds were surrounding him and when everyone was trying to interact with Jesus. He comes privately to Jesus. Now, why would he do that? Well, part of the fact was because he was a Pharisee. And his friends, the other Pharisees, were against Jesus. They felt intimidated by Jesus. They felt that Jesus was going to expose the emptiness of their hearts, so they were constantly jealous of him. And so this man, Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, knew that if he went and identified with Jesus, if he became connected with Jesus, then the other Pharisees might reject him. They might not want to be around him. And so he was concerned about what the other men would think of him. Does Nicodemus truly trust Jesus if he's coming to him in the middle of the night? Does Nicodemus truly have faith in Jesus if he wants to meet with him quietly and he doesn't want anyone else to know? We see evidence here that though there might have been the seeds of faith in Nicodemus, that he isn't truly trusting in the Lord and the Messiah that the Lord has sent yet. He's more concerned with the judgments of man than the judgments of God. It was a common problem with the Pharisees. And it is still a problem with people uh, today. As people want to be identified as good, but they're also afraid to stand for the things of God. Thirdly, so we've seen that this is an unconventional visitor who comes at an unconventional time. And thirdly, we see an unconventional answer on the part of Jesus. You might say, wait a minute, an unconventional answer? I don't think Nicodemus asked a question here, did he? When Nicodemus comes, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. That's not a question, is it? That's a statement. And it's an interesting statement when you think about it, because he doesn't say, I know. He says, we know. That tells us that those Pharisees who were jealous of Jesus, those Pharisees who often opposed Jesus, they knew that he was from the Lord. 
And yet still, their pride caused them to push him away. So Nicodemus doesn't come asking a question. He comes making a statement. But it falls short of saying that Nicodemus trusts Jesus. His statement is not quite a confession of faith. The text, though, in verse 3, says that Jesus answered him. There was a question that Nicodemus should have been asking, but he didn't have the courage to ask yet. Why not? Because he thought he already knew the answer to that question. The question is, how might a person be saved from their sin? Now, if Jesus would have asked Nicodemus that question, he surely would have said, we're saved by the law. We have the law of God. He tells us what is good and what is wrong. And if we just do what is good, then we'll be saved. That was the standard response of the Pharisees. But Jesus is trying to help this man see that he doesn't understand, that he needs to ask that question, how might I be saved? The Pharisees needed the answer to that question. So without even the question being asked, Jesus answers the question. How must a person be saved? He answers it. And the answer is a little shocking to Nicodemus. Listen to what he says in verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus' answer was not what Nicodemus was expecting. Do the works of the law be obedient? Follow after all the commandments? That saves a person, right? No, that is not the answer. And the answer is that in order for the law to save us, we would have to keep it absolutely perfectly. Anyone who has broken any of God's law has become a rebel to God. Did you know that? How many of you have broken any of God's laws? Think about the laws of God. I'm just going to name a few. Thou shalt not lie. Anybody in here ever told something less than the truth? Even saying it that way shows that we're embarrassed about the fact that we lie, right? Oh, it's less than the truth. But no, we purposely twist the truth sometimes, and that's wicked. That's not of the Lord. The Lord of God says we shall not covet. How many of us have not looked at something that somebody else had and thought, I deserve that more than they do? To covet is to sin against God. To covet is to show a lack of thankfulness for the things that God has graciously given to us. Now, we might think we deserve more. The Lord says the reason you think you deserve more is because you don't understand sin. You don't understand the depth to which you have broken God's law and offended the one who gives you life. So Nicodemus is not asking the right question, but Jesus is going to answer it. And when he answers that question, he says, truly, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, if you've read much of the New Testament, then you can probably come across, I remember coming across a number of places where the scripture says it very plainly. Our works don't have the power to save us. The apostle Paul wrote about it in Ephesians 2. This is one of my favorite passages about the gospel. It says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. So this is talking to believers. It says, for by grace, grace is a free gift. It's not something you earn. It's not a reward. But by grace, by free gift, you have been saved through faith. And in case you didn't get it, in the first part of the verse, Paul says, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of your works, so that no one 
may boast. Now, if, if getting to heaven is a foot race, and those who do the most good works run faster and get there first, then they got something to brag about when they get to heaven. They get to look back at the people behind them and say, wow, sure I'm glad that I'm more righteous than those poor fools. But that is not what heaven is about, friends. It's not about what you can do because not one of us can do enough. Heaven is not a pretty good place. And God is not a pretty righteous God. Heaven is a place of perfection where there is no sin. God is a God of perfection. In Him there is nothing wicked or evil whatsoever. So if you want fellowship with God, you need to be free from sin. You need to be perfected. And there's no amount of good works that you can do that can undo the sin that you have committed against God. You might get a little bit better if you tried hard. You might not be as outwardly evil as your heart shows that you are. But none of us can make ourselves perfect through our actions. That has to come through the Lord God. It has to be a gift from His hand. And so let's continue to read in chapter 3 here of John. It says in verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Nicodemus is rightfully confused. How can I become born again? You and I have probably been exposed to that phrase enough in our lives that it's not a shocking idea to us, being born again. But to Nicodemus, that had never been said before. Nobody had ever thought about this idea of being born again. And so he thinks... Technically, he thinks practically. How can I be born again? Am I going to go back into my mother's womb and then come out again? That's, that's impossible. So there's two kinds of birth that Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about how we need to be born of water. Now, all of us came from a mother's womb. And in that mother's womb was water. You were born of the water of your mother's womb. So we must be born physically. But we have to be born if we want to see heaven. If we want to see the kingdom of God then there's a second kind of birth that needs to happen. A couple things that I want to mention quickly here. This means that salvation is a much bigger deal than people tend to believe it is. It's not about becoming a little better. Jesus did not die on a cross to improve you as a person. He didn't. He died on a cross because you needed to be transformed. Because you needed new life. To be born again means that the, the person that you were before Christ came into your life and showed you your sin, that person needs to be laid to rest. And this new person that you are now in Christ needs to become the reality of who you are. And only God can do that for you. Salvation then is not just self-improvement. It's not just therapeutic behavioral modification. Salvation is me dying to what I was without Christ and becoming something new with Christ. 
And it's not something that you can do. How many of you got yourself born into this world by water? You didn't do the hard work. Go talk to your mama if you don't believe in me, okay? Your mama did the hard work. Somebody else brought you into this world and a doctor assisted, right? So if you think that you're going to get saved, if you're going to get born again by your actions, you're missing the point. God must bring new life to you. He must give it to you as a gift. It's something that God has to do for you, and it was something that Nicodemus wasn't ready for. We see Nicodemus two more times in the Scripture. Okay? I'm not going to finish up in chapter 3 because we don't have enough time today. I wish I had more time. Maybe we'll come back to this the next time I preach. But we'll see Nicodemus two more times in the Scripture. He walks away from this nighttime meeting a little bit baffled. He, he still doesn't understand what it means to be born again. A few chapters later, we see that the Pharisees and the rulers of the Jews were becoming really hostile towards Jesus. They wanted to condemn him. They thought that he was upsetting the apple cart, that they, the people were more aligned with him than with the, the leaders of the nation of Israel. And so they began to criticize him and say, what are we going to do about him? And so it says that Nicodemus, who was one of those Pharisees, stood up and tried to push them in a different direction. Nicodemus, who had gone before him, chapter 7, verse 50, and who was one of them, said, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? You know what they did to him? They said, Who are you to speak? Are you a Galilean? In other words, are you one of the twelve disciples all of a sudden, Nicodemus? It's what he was afraid of in the first place. It's why he came at the night to meet with Jesus. So instead of standing his ground, he shrunk back into the shadows. He didn't say anything else. Several more chapters go by. Nicodemus still hasn't really decided where he stands. But then in John 19, Jesus has been put on trial. He's been accused of things that he did not commit, sins that were wicked sins that he was not guilty of, and he did not defend himself because he knew what he was doing. He was going to be executed so that people who deserve to die would have a sacrifice in their place. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die because he had did anything wrong. He died because you and me did something wrong. He died because we have broken the law of God. And unless that breaking of God's law was paid for perfectly by a worthy sacrifice, then we would have to pay it ourselves in eternity. So when Christ died on the cross, he died for all who would put their faith and trust in him. And those who believe their sins were crushed on Christ instead of being punished forever in hell. In this picture of Christ being crucified, in this picture of Jesus being willing to suffer on behalf of his people, Nicodemus saw it. He saw the passionate love that God had for his people, and it broke his heart. And he realized that he couldn't just have one foot in the kingdom of heaven and one foot in the kingdom of the Pharisees. And it says in chapter 19, verse 39, after Jesus had died on the cross, and had been taken down, something needed to be done with the body. And a man named Joseph of Arimathea, he had a tomb that had been unused, and he determined to put the body of Jesus into that tomb to show it honor and reverence. Joseph of Arimathea was not ashamed to follow after Christ, so he stood up and he said, I'd like to take the body. I'll be identified with Jesus. And you know who stood up with him? Verse 39 of John 19, Nicodemus also who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about 75 pounds of wood. He came to help honor Jesus after he had given his life. He publicly shows the people, I now am no longer just this Pharisee who is friendly to Jesus. 
I am now a follower of Jesus. It is not until we see the cross and our need for it that we can be born again. The Lord God is the one who breaks the heart and shows us a need to repent of our sin and to draw near to Him. Many who saw the crucifixion did not repent and believe, but God was working something in Nicodemus's heart so that when he saw that beautiful act of sacrifice, that he would believe, that he would trust and receive the gift of eternal life, of new life in Jesus Christ. And Jesus did not stay dead. We're not here to preach to you a dead Savior, but a risen King. And so we're grateful that you have come to listen to these things. And we hope that it's been a blessing to you. And if you have questions about this, I would love to stick around afterwards for a little while and talk to you about that. But let's close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for your abundant love for your people. And we thank you for the scripture, which faithfully tells the story of the the amazing sacrifice that Christ was willing to make to save us from sin. We're glad, Lord, that the grave had no power over him, that though he died, indeed, he rose on the third day as he said that he would. And he reigns right now in heaven, the right hand of the Father. We're grateful, God, that there is now a kingdom that people are being brought into through faith. And we pray that the preaching of the gospel might see this kingdom come and your will be done. And we pray it all in Jesus' holy name. Amen.